everybody. Welcome to the Whiskey Sessions podcast. This is episode 108. Hey, Matt's here with B-Pimp, and we have a very special guest joining us for this episode to talk about, and, and this is, I think, one of our best top fives ever, the top five NBA greatest of all time, your goats. Uh, joining us for that very special discussion is B-Like. What's up, B-Like? How's it going, guys? Glad to be here. Welcome. Welcome to the to the uh, party. Be like. Yeah, we're we're super happy to have you with us. Maybe you could give us just like a little overview on your uh, just Lakers fandom and what that means to somebody coming from Arkansas. It's incredible that you said that because that's right where I was going to start. I was going to explain how uh, all of my childhood influences geographically had led me to become a, a large Lakers fan. Um, no, the only important Arkansas sports thing to note is that we don't have any professional teams. I think the Arkansas Travelers is our minor league baseball team out of Little Rock. And then if you go to Memphis, you can watch the Grizzlies play. We were in Vancouver before. So for a while, that wasn't there. OKC was hot there for a minute with their uh, their KD, James Harden, Russell Westbrook there for a few years. Um, but aside from that, you know, before they were there, the, the Sonics, sorry to break your heart, Andy. Mm-hmm. Um, we took that team down into the Oklahoma city. So there's really no basketball. And then my dad's from California. So that's, that's really the root of all this is that my dad grew up watching the Showtime Lakers and he recorded all of the, the Lakers championships back in the early two thousands. We watched those on repeat, except for when Allen Iverson won that first game for Philly. We didn't, we never watched that game. I never, I've never seen the Lakers lose for most of my young, young life. And it's, it's made me a really, really obnoxious fan in general. What, so, I mean, outside of your dad being from California, which obviously makes sense for why you might be a Lakers fan, is there like a set NBA team or has it just like kept moving for like people from Arkansas to follow? Mm, That's a great question. I feel like it's like the St. Louis Cardinals is baseball or the Braves. And then football is always the Cowboys. Um, Mm. And then basketball is actually mostly the Thunder, I I would say, in general. Yeah. There's a, there's a large, large grouping of Arkansans in the Northwest corner of the state. It's like a quarter of the state's population and they're pretty close to Oklahoma city comparatively. And the okay. Razorbacks, Razorbacks basketball is very yeah. popular when they're good. Right. Like, yeah, this year they're good. They're good right now. They're ranked. I think they're like 11th or 12th, something like that. Doing nice. better than my Tar Heels, but it's fine. Yeah. Uh, fun fact too. You went to central Arkansas home of Scotty Pippen. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that's the Arkansas Chicago connection we got here. <laughs> um, I won't spoil anything. Scotty Pippen's not on my top five, but fantastic basketball player. And from what I understand by his nickname, a not good tipper. <laughs> no tipping. Pippen. It makes sense though, right? I mean, he, he negotiates that, that 10 year contract basically to make sure that he gets money over time. Doesn't seem like he's not like he's, he seems like a pretty frugal guy just in general. Yeah. Uh, he is like one of Maggie's favorite players. For some reason, there is a poster that she has. And I almost can't believe they ever made this poster or that Michael Jordan ever agreed to it. But there's a Bulls poster where Scottie Pippen is in the middle and Michael Jordan is off to one side and Dennis Rodman is off to the other side. It is inexplicable how this poster got made. I have one in my room here with Dennis Rodman in the middle and Jordan and Pippen flanking him. So really, maybe there's a couple they posed in each way. Then if I were Jordan, I would say, no, I'm here. You guys can switch sides (laughs) together. It seems like it would have come into his hall of fame speech at some point. Like those posters feel relevant. 
Brian, did you get it? Did you buy like a, a Dennis Rodman jersey and the poster came with it? <laughs> I wish I had a Dennis Rodman jersey. I don't, sadly. Mm. He, I used to love I used to love 91, especially because as a kid, I was like, I didn't understand the like why he changes hair color so frequently. And <laughs> I, I loved when the game was a blowout and he would shoot threes and people would go crazy. There was just a lot of things to like about Dennis Rodman other than when he kicked that cameraman. Was there an explainer of why he picked a number so high? I think he was number 10 and is 10 retired by the Bulls? He was always 10 with the Pistons and the Spurs, I think. Uh, It feels like one of those things where it got, he couldn't get the number he wanted and he just picked a random one. Well, 91 would add up to be 10 too. Maybe that's it. That there you go. We cracked it. Oh, good thing. Cracked the code. Good you've already there. you've already contributed heavily to this. To this <laughs> Otherwise, this would have been somebody telling us later that, hey, dummies. Yeah. Nine What's plus nine plus one? one? <laughs> All right. Um, thank you for contributing that little tidbit for sure. Uh, we have and I don't want to get to the namesake of our podcast too fast, but we almost have to because we have not one, not two but three whiskeys to try uh, in honor of us having three people on the podcast and for be like, for you sending us out these particular whiskeys, uh, a, a Russell's reserve, two wild turkeys. And uh, I am excited to figure out not only do they belong on the smooth train or get the boot, but just how we rank them in general. This is a, a different thing for our podcast. Ma- massive props to you for sending out this care package across the country, across our great country to me. So I really appreciate that, first of all. And I'm excited to try them out. Yeah, I was I was glad to do it. I've been uh, un- un- unceremoniously sort of hoarding whiskey over the course of quarantine. So the opportunity to get something out of my cabinet was actually, I kind of was like, oh my God, this would be very helpful. I can't get enough people over into my home to actually drink it. So I have to mail it to them now, but... I'll take it. I, I'm with you on that. And like, we have a alarming amount of whiskey in our house now, mm. mostly because of this podcast and the fact that I, on my own, don't drink it particularly fast. So it's just accumulating to a level that <laughs> looks like a problem. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess if though, if you have all of the whiskey, it proves that you don't have a problem. Is that what it is? That's like, actually if you're, not, if you're not drinking it, then. Maybe once it's gone, that will be the problem. That's the cry for help. Yeah. We have this one whiskey that I tried a, a few episodes ago that's banana flavored, oh. which I actually thought was a decent whiskey, except, uh, oh, and, and Brian, I tried this where I mixed it with root beer. You were right oh. on the money that that yes. very well. This is Howler Head, correct? Howler Head. Yes. Banana flavored whiskey. Wild. So it's been good. I take it as a, so Maggie and I do Friday shots at the end of the day like on a pretty regular, and we do it with this whiskey because it's one of the easiest shot whiskeys ever. Mm. But then she mixed it with San Pellegrino pop and that was not good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it sounds I thought bad. you were going to swerve me there and say it was good because at first, when I first heard it, I was like, that's a bad idea. I felt bad too because I, she mixed the drink and I didn't see her do it. Uh, and she brought it to me and I drank it by knowing fully by looking at the glass. Definitely it was a San Pellegrino pop. I don't know what the alcohol was in it, 
Then I drank some. I noticed the banana flavor. I was like, hmm, that's weird. <laughs> and I said, like, is this the banana flavored whiskey? <laughs> and as I was saying that, she was like, yeah, is it, is it not good? It's like, uh, I didn't want to say it was like bad, but I also felt like after a while I would have been just lying to her. <laughs> yeah, honesty is important in a marriage. Isn't it? I think so. Uh, the key was I didn't say it was bad. And then she's like, yeah, this is kind of bad, isn't it? And then that's when I piled on. That's an advanced move. Yeah. Uh, no, go healthy marriage here for sure. All right. I, I think maybe the best way to do it, should we just do these one at a time and drink them neat? How do you want to drink them? Yeah, we should probably, we should probably try them neat. And then if, if you prefer it, throw it on ice afterwards. Okay. For the um, easiest way. All right. This first one is Russell's Reserve Private Barrel Hazel's Pick Bourbon. I am noticing this on the bottle. 55% alcohol by volume? That's exciting. That's what you're looking for. You want, you want those higher strength, higher strength whiskeys. Get them closer to barrel proof. That's no joke. More flavor. Yeah. Good thing I took tomorrow off. <laughs> <laughs> I will also say, and we have a small sample, and again, be like, cannot thank you enough for sending these over. But at least according to this website, it's saying a 750 milliliter bottle of this is $65. So this yeah, is no joke of a, a whiskey. It's from a, a property down in uh, South San Francisco called Bitter and Bottles. And so what they've done is essentially gone to Russell Reserve's distillery, which is actually wild turkey. It's a wild turkey property. So they've gone and they've picked out a specific barrel that they thought was the best from a series of barrels that they were shown by the Russell's Reserve crew. And then they have had that specifically bottled and brought back to South San Francisco for distribution. So it's a fun way to get like a unique flavor. You can go get a Russell's Reserve single barrel at the store, but this one will have a, a little bit different take than uh, what you would expect otherwise. And I notice it's called Hazel's Pick. Do you know who Hazel is? Yeah, it's got to be somebody down there, right? No, I have no idea who Hazel is, but I, I feel like it must be, uh, Hazel must be an employee of Bitter and Bottles. Nice. All right, I have mine in a little glass. Gentlemen, do you have yours poured as well? I do indeed. All right, I'm going to pour a little bit more after I poured really too, too gentle of a pour. <laughs> so the smell is good, but nothing... I'm not catching anything like particularly remarkable about it. It has a pretty decent bite to it. And I wonder if that's like the, just the high alcohol volume. Yeah, I'm really liking it. It's it got a little bit of a bite. It does. It has a little bit of a bite. It has like a decent burn for a bourbon. What I, what I notice is the, when I initially drink it, I get like the, the harsh alcohol taste briefly and then it sort of fades and there's like a slow, slow burn down the throat, but it's not uncomfortable anymore. It's like a very sweet, savory sort of oaky flavor. That is like right on the money. I especially like the, the slow burn down the throat. It's, I don't want to telegraph where I would put this, but it's, it's a smooth burn down the throat. It's like, it's like a sweater on the inside is my favorite way to describe a good a good warm whiskey yeah this is this is good i mean i'm gonna take my third sip just because i've i like to three sip these whiskeys to know for sure uh also i have to clear out my glass because i didn't bring three separate glasses but i think i think i'm putting this on the smooth train this might be on the smooth train same here smooth all aboard all right. 
three for three for the Russell's Reserve. Uh, next one, we have the Wild Turkey Decades. And I don't think we've done a Wild Turkey on this podcast before. We have not. What? What? I don't know. Not even possible. 101? Nope. No. Well, it's one of our blind spots. And we'll say <laughs> what's happened with this podcast is that we've, we've had some common whiskeys. But now when I see a common, like a, like a brand that I'm familiar with, I actually gravitate away from it because I'm almost mm. certain that we've had it just because I have a horrible memory and our documentation is what was very good, but is now not very good. It's, it's what you might call lacking. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I just, I shy away from them because I assume we've had it and I just don't want to accidentally overlap, but we haven't had this. I'll take it one step further. I don't think I've ever had a wild turkey in my life. What? Whoa. Ever. Ever, it's one, it's It's one of the few, like, big name, you know, the ones that I know for sure that I've seen all over the place that I haven't tried. I don't know why. It's not like I was avoiding it. It's just I never bought one. Uh, you got to go get some uh, wild turkey 101. Like 25 bucks, 750 milliliters. Delicious. Drink it on a little ice. Never gets old. Yeah, no. Uh, so for the decades, be like, do you have? Yeah, yeah. The decades is an easy one. So the decades is uh, from, so Wild Turkey over the past like five years have been doing a once a year sort of signature limited release uh, in their Master Keep series. So decades is, is part of that series of bourbon that they've been releasing. Um, and it's specifically from a series of 10 to 20 year old barrels. So it's, it's older, so it should have a little bit more of a perhaps musty flavor associated with it, but it's mixed. So it's got some younger bourbon in there too. Mm. Decades. I like it. B pimp and I are uh, decades older than you. <laughs> Age is just a number, Andy. It really is. Yeah. And the COVID year didn't count. So you must, and most you're like nine years. And we're both born in February, which has leap years associated with it. So I'm like 17. Mm, yeah, same. <laughs> I like the smell of it. It smells pretty sharp. Wow, the first taste, the sip, I, I won't lie, it kind of went straight into my nasal cavity. <laughs> Anybody else have that sensation? I didn't have the same one. I did. I, I will say I noticed um, compared to the Russell's Reserve, this one had a little bit less burn on the front end, but it was mm. similar, similarly smooth finish to it would be my take. Yeah, it's a lower proof than the Russell's Reserve. Yeah. Yeah, as I'm sitting with it a little more, I like it. Uh, and it is, it does have that smooth finish. I don't feel as much of like the body up front. There, I can tell the different, like what you mentioned be like about the, the it's a little bit older, even though it has a, has some younger blended in. I can, I can see where that plays into it in the taste. Yeah, it's a nice blend that they've done. Whereas with the Russell's Reserve single barrel, it's literally just one barrel of specific burden. There's a little bit more opportunity to create a more, I don't know, almost mellow flavor as you mash together a series of different barrels. Yeah. Hmm. I'm liking it. I'm going to go ahead and put it on the smooth train. I'll be the, I'll be the, uh, the vanguard. Yeah, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to say it. I, I'd be liking it too. So I'm going to put it on the smooth train as well. <laughs> That's a nice pun. It didn't yes, even occur to me as we came up. That's, with that. a, that's a that's a catchphrase. Yeah, my my father always taught me that uh, the puns are humor that you inflict on other people. So I always try to apologize on the front end. 
I love puns, but I also feel that same way. I have a very, I have a very deep sense of like self consciousness, whatever, even if they're, even if they're extremely clever, I'm like, you know, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. yeah. I Immediate have, regret. Yeah. But then happiness. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm also going to put this on the smooth train. It just, it really does have a nice smooth finish. I'm not like crazy about the sensation I get up front. Uh, mm. But I, it's possible I also needed more of a palate cleanser of nothing, which is what I did. Mm. But I do like it. So I will also put it on the smooth train. All right, this last one we have is also wild turkey. And on Sharpie on the bottle I have, it says 17, which I'm guessing is 17 years. Yep, that's right. Uh, I don't know if the name of this whiskey is otherwise. Yeah. Like you want to tell and us that's, a little bit. That's all there is to it. So it's it's very similar to what's going on with the decades, only it's only 17-year-old bourbon that they've mixed together here. So this is the oldest release that Wild Turkey ever did. Um, and this was probably oh. five years ago. They've done they've done since they did a 17-year-old bottle and bond. That was pretty delightful. But this one is is quite well, we'll we'll leave it up to the, the panel to decide if it's good or not, right? But you know, it it, it theoretically should have some some lovely flavors associated with it. And, and I, just from what you've shared with us thus far, I would say that you're probably at the top of this trifecta as far as bourbon knowledge. But what I know is that <laughs> um, the longer it's in a barrel, the more chance it has to incorporate the flavors from the barrel. Yeah. Correct. So absolutely. As, as the, it's almost like an opportunity cost, right? It's like the longer they let it sit, they're not getting any benefit. Off, they're not getting any um, profit off of it. But when right. it finally gets right. bottled, it's going to be a little bit more mature flavor, right? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, one thing that I didn't know for the longest time, but I think is particularly interesting about bourbon in general is that most distilleries make their money off the stuff that's their lower shelf bourbon, right? So Wild Turkey makes money off of Wild Turkey 101. And these things from the Master's Keep line, they don't really make any money off of at all and really only exist as advertising for the distillery in general. So everybody who's out there chasing the like Pappy Van Winkles or the George T. Staggs of the world, really that stuff is just advertising Buffalo Trace, Buffalo Trace bourbon, which is an interesting. Which is delicious. One of my favorites. Oh, yes. Do like delightful. Yeah. Um, All right. right. I'm giving this one a small. Yeah, let's see it. This one has just the most like good down the middle bourbon smell going in. Like if I smelled this right before I tasted it, I would say I'm in for a good night. Mm. this one first sip smooth train first of all <laughs> second of all it's my favorite um flavor profile so far of the three because i feel like it's right in the middle it does have some mm-hmm. of the like that punch right up front but it's the amount of time that it takes to like transition into that smooth finish is it's like instantaneous it's just like here you go this is good enjoy it like that's the feeling i get it's like i'm being swaddled by (laughs) swaddled in bourbon i love it it does have it does have like that warming sensation that i didn't get as much with the decades there's another flavor i can't put my um finger on but it's like it's just a it's a pleasant sweetness is what i would say is it vanilla is it like a light vanilla yeah 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 i get like just a hint of vanilla but not a lot hmm and it's, it also has a, it also has the best, um, I'm not an expert. I don't, I've been to a couple of distilleries and done 
bourbon tastings that I know that you're supposed to that like. Sounds per- front. That sounds professional. Sounds professional. Smell yeah. the front, smell the back of the glass. I don't know. I'm not adept at that, but I do know that this one has the best flavor, mouthfeel, and smell to me. This, yeah, it's actually yeah. it's only forty three point four percent alcohol too, so it's it's pretty low proof comparatively. What? Sorry, can you refresh my memory? Be like, what was the decades in terms of alcohol? The decades is fifty two percent. Okay, that was serious. I'm uh, sitting on top of my liquor cabinet now, so I'm just pulling them out to double check. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I well, I will certainly put the seventeen years on the smooth train as well. Are we unanimous? Are we nine for nine? I think What's we're not like on the 17 year. Oh, you're Oh yeah, no, the, the 17 years. Yeah, I'm on a smooth train for sure. That's good. That's good stuff. That's one of my that's one of the better ones I've tasted in all of our podcasting, yeah. Andy. And that's hundred it's hundred and eight episodes worth. <laughs> that's I cannot believe we've done this podcast as long as we have. I am struggling a little bit with the ranking. Um, and I don't know that it would have been different if I had tasted them. Out of order. Uh, you can always retaste, Andy. That's true. I do have to work tomorrow. But can we get somebody to work really- GoPro yeah, at your, your work tomorrow <laughs> so I can see what happens? Okay, for myself, I think I'm actually going to put the Russell's Reserve first. I'm going to put the 17 years second, and I'm going to put the decades third. How are other people feeling? I'm going with the 17 first, the Russell's Reserve second, and the decades third. Yeah, be pimping. I'm right there with you. If that's the same order I was going to go with, seventeen year old first, then the the Russell single barrel, and then the decades. The decades has got a nice little nutty flavor in it, but I'm just the front of it is weird. The proof is is too high for the flavor. Like it should be way smoother for the amount of like time they put those barrels in. It, it, it feels mixed strangely. It's still tasty bourbon, but like knowing what is in it, I'm just like this should have been better. Whereas like the single barrel from Russell's Reserve is like an eight, 10 year, just one singular barrel where they've not, they've not mixed it with anything else. Uh, and really just punching above its weight. Yeah. I think of the wild Turkey decades as being kind of like the sequel coming to America too, I guess <laughs> like it was, it was good. And honestly, I don't know what else you would have expected from it, but it was kind of all over the place. Mm. So I haven't seen it yet. Is it worth watching? I think it's worth watching. The first Oddly one's enough, so good, though. I mean, I don't want to sully it. What's and I, I'm not going to spoil it by saying this, but it's coming to America too. Really, little of it is in America. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe 15 minutes tops. Oh wow! Yeah. So it should be called Going Zamunda. from America. Yeah, it should be called <laughs> Coming to America, mostly in Zamunda. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will just note, uh, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I, I have not seen the original Coming to America movie. That's a good movie. Uh, my, it's, could be my yeah. age showing. I'm not sure. I was one probably when it came out, so I don't know that it... Yeah. <laughs> like I, I, yeah, I no didn't one, see it when it came out, but I definitely no caught it like at some watching point. It in theaters, yeah. <laughs> I, it like is, to me though, I've, I'm, I've probably seen other movies more, but it is like the movie that just feels like a just like a well-fitted glove. I don't know. It's just like, mm. a, I would, if I ever see it on, it's the kind of movie that I would be like, yep, I'm watching this now. I'm watching this now. What, okay, so real fast, and this is a sidebar, but like, I need, I need to know from both you guys, like, what is the thing that stands out from this movie? Why is it so good? Right, this is like a cult classic at this point. Everyone talks about this film. Like, what is it that sticks out to you about the, the movie? 
I think with any good comedy, it, well, okay, not any good comedy. Like I would say Airplane is also a good comedy with almost no real plot. But mm. actually what Country to America does really <laughs> well <laughs> um, is, and I don't like all scatterplane comedies. Like I, I hate Caddyshack. And I'll mm. go on record to saying that I hate that movie. But what Coming to America does is as funny as it is and as goofy parts as it is and as many parts as it has like Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall both playing like other characters, the through plot is actually pretty strong. I mean, it's just like a love story and it does that well. And it, like it mm. bases all the comedy off of that plot going forward. I think the sequel kind of suffers because it's not really clear what the plot is. But um, by having that pretty strong plot to base everything off of it it ends up being like just i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but but it ends up being just uh it's kind of like the princess bride in that sense mm -hmm. um i wouldn't say the two movies are like all that similar i mean they're not but uh they work because they have a strong plot to base their comedy off of and i think coming to america just has it has a lot of like good cameos, but it just has like great scenes that are fast paced that I really like. Uh, the one thing the sequel does really well is spend some time in the barbershop. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually two scenes in the barbershop, which is what I really liked about the original two. And it's just, I don't know. It just feels like a comfortable, funny, like perfect movie. Peak Eddie Murphy is mm. so good. And no one at that age, I, I don't even feel like had anywhere near, like I can't think of like contemporary actors who have had that kind of like charisma. He's high energy for sure. I would also say that um, as a person who's always been interested in how, you know, class conflicts and how people get along, um, I think it's interesting that the plot addresses that in the 80s mm. as far as like, him being from a royal family and you know just all the stuff that goes with just all the all the interactions that go along with it i like that part of it too so we've got a second parallel to princess bride which is royalty is involved so we've got royalty and mm -hmm. romance these are basically the same movies i think andy you were wrong they're <laughs> identical nearly at this point yeah yes it was re it was rebadged re <laughs> <laughs> just that era of eddie murphy movies is so good too like beverly hills cop is great I think The Golden Child is an underrated movie that I really enjoy, too. Have you ever seen Bowfinger? I just saw Bowfinger from 99 with Steve Martin. And I Murphy. haven't seen Bowfinger in a long time. I loved that movie when I came out. It was out. really good. Theaters. Yeah. Yeah, I was surprised how funny it was. This is the Eddie Murphy show. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I will 100% on board be with the Eddie Murphy Appreciation Club. I We also saw My Name is Dolomite pretty recently I, I watched that that was great he was great in that yeah i haven't seen that one i'm open on my list um what's nice about the sequel and actually the same with my name is dolomite wesley snipes is in that and i love wesley snipes um not so much for the blade franchise but uh another movie that fits like a glove that i could watch a thousand times is demolition man mm. and sylvester Fantastic. stallone and wesley snipes well wesley snipes is perfect in that movie yeah. He's like, all they told him probably was, you're the villain, turn it up to 11. Those are all your notes. <laughs> and he did it and nailed it. He did it. He did it as well as anybody's ever done it. Yeah. 
For sure. I love that movie. Love coming to America. Um, and I think the sequel honestly was as good as it could have been. It came out more than 30 years after the original. Wow. Yeah. And I will say the actress who plays Lisa, who like is, is in the sequel, although not to the same extent, still looked great. Hmm. Like, I don't know how old she is, but like considering it's like 32, 33 years after the original, like I was pretty surprised. Nice. She looks better than Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Take that, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not the Eddie Murphy show anymore. No. Yep. Um, Punch us out. All right. Not to switch gears completely. Uh, and I don't know what Eddie Murphy's basketball game is like, but I'm going to go ahead and assume he wouldn't be on the top five list. We have to talk about <laughs> the top five greatest NBA players of all time. This I know is going to stir controversy. There's no way it can't. Uh, and I know my list is going to. <laughs> what did you think about, maybe starting with you, be like, what did you think about in putting together this list? Did it come together quickly? Did you have to put a lot of thought into it? You know, the, the thing that trips me up every time I think through this process is there are the arguments we make for individuals when we cross them against, it's, it's like, um, you know, is it the number of championships you won? Is it longevity in the league and the things that you put, put forth over the, the course of your career? Do things pre-NBA career count, right? You start to add those things together and then there are these weird outliers that based on like these set metrics you have are suddenly like in the spotlight that you never expected. And you're like, wait, that guy doesn't pass the smell test. But like based on the criteria I set up, that is definitely the best player of all time. And I end up in that situation. I look at it and I go, wait, does that just mean my criteria is bad? Am I doing this wrong? Do we have to have another metric? I don't know. It's, it's, it's never easy for me. Uh, eventually I just kind of like throw something in the trash can and I write down five names that I like and I'm done with it. Like, all right, there's no rules. It's just whoever I like. I think that's fair. Um, I, I definitely try to think hard about like legitimately who do I think the best players are, but it's so hard to compare them generation generationally against each other. Brian, kind of what, what were you thinking as you were putting together this list? Um, one of my hot takes is that um, I skewed very heavily towards players who played post-1983 because I think that the game was so different before that and the people that were dominant before that were playing in a less competitive era. So mm -hmm. I don't usually reward that. So I, I have a recency bias and I embrace mm -hmm. it and that's what my list is. I think you might have a pretty different list then. This, yeah, this is going to be, I expect some angry emails, uh, maybe some fire started based on our list on this one. But I will say this, these are the definitive lists. You might see lists on ESPN, Fox Sports, uh, NBA.com. Does that still exist? I, I must. It absolutely page, does. ESPN yeah. page two. ESPN page two, ESPN page three. ESPN, the Ocho, but I will say this list is the definitive. Each one of these lists is the definitive top five list for sure. Correct. That is correct. If nothing, if you take nothing else away from this, that's what you should take. Yeah. All right. Without further ado, then let's get into it. These are our top five NBA greatest players of all time. More than four, less than six. It's the top five. All right. Beef Hemp, who is your number five? Central Arkansas' own Scotty Pippen. Holy shit. Nice. What? 
He's the number five greatest player of all time. He would have been as good, regardless of the fact that he played with Michael Jordan. He was a good shooter. He was a finisher. He was a defensive, elite defensive player. He was on one of the best teams of all time. And he was successful in other environments, not just with the Bulls. Scotty Pippen. Okay. So, but I mean, like, I'm glad he laid the gauntlet down of saying, you're not taking this list seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will defend this. I think this is legitimate. This is not because I'm a Chicago Bulls homer. I'm an objective person. Scottie Pippen is a great player and he's underrated. Scottie Pippen is yeah. underrated and he's a great player. And what I remember once from an all-star game and it was mid nineties all-star game. I think I don't remember the specific year, but Sean Kemp for whatever reason brought the ball up the floor. And Scotty Pippen just like <laughs> ripped it from him immediately and took it the other way for a dunk. Yeah. He's like beautiful. Uh, an underrated, really underrated defensive player. And he's even rated highly as a defensive player, but he's still underrated. Yep. There's an argument for Scotty Pippen being the best defender who has ever played basketball. And I think that, that gratefully he should therefore be included in the top five easily. I think the other thing here is like, Michael Jordan is clearly an overrated player. I'm just going to put that out there. Even if he is the best of all time, the legend surrounding, the mythos surrounding Jordan is overblown. Even if he's the best, it's more than it should be. In which case, Scottie Pippen's got to pick up whatever that extra slack is, right? Jordan didn't do anything without Pippen. Pippen's pretty important. Feels like it's safe to include him on the list. I mean, that's true. Jordan did not do anything without Pippen. I don't remember what happened with those Wizards teams, but nothing good. Kwame nothing Brown. good. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right, be like, who's your number five? Coming in at number five for me is Bill Russell. I'm putting Bill Russell at number five. I think there's like a couple of things that stand out here. I think one, uh, people always say you can't, you can't compare backwards, but I'm a hundred percent sure that Wilt Chamberlain was an absolute unit of a human being and basketball player. And Bill Russell had his way with him. I mean, it's insane. Just if you look at their head to head matchups and sure, Bill Russell had like 15 other Hall of Famers playing on the same team as him. There's only 10 teams in the league, but he was in the league for 13 years. He won 11 NBA finals. Those percentages are insane. We, we often look at, you know, how many times did you go versus how many times you win? How many years were you in the league? How many finals did you win? Bill Russell at number five, that's safe. Maybe he should be higher. He's old though, so he won't come and hurt me. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say five. He can't come get me. I, I think he could come get you. I know that's what's wrong. It's not safe. <laughs> it's not safe. I, I can't agree more that Bill Russell needs to be on your list. Number five, I feel personally insulted almost, but <laughs> Bill Russell, hell of a player. My number five, I'm going to put Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm. So longevity of career, pretty solid actor in Airplane. Sky <laughs> Hook. Sky the, Hook. Is this the second time I've mentioned the movie Airplane? Or was I just thinking about the movie Airplane earlier? No, yeah, no, you brought second. it up before. Yeah, okay. this is yeah. great. Yeah. I'll try to do it a couple more times. But Kareem is just uh, really an underappreciated legend. I don't know what Magic would have done without him. But the fact that he was still just like incredible, really late into his career, which is not that common for centers who are like seven foot two. He like just an amazing career. Clearly, yeah. clearly epic. Does he have a statue up? I remember there was a controversy of him being kind of ticked off that he didn't have a statue in front of Staples Center. And I'm wondering if he has one yet. No, that's a good question. I don't know. I think he's just like really, I think it's because he, he has a bit of a spiky personality 
but yeah. just like a, a really underappreciated legend. All right, B Pimp, who is your number four? My number four is Hakeem the Dream Elijah. Mm. Hakeem is amazing. He was, uh, I, I tend to appreciate players who are dominant on two ends of the floor, and he was maybe one of the best at that because he had the dream shake on offense and he was like shot blocker extraordinaire and really, really excellent footwork. He grew up playing soccer in Nigeria and um, he was, he was just one of the most fun players to watch for me and also amazing. And I think the fact that they won the two finals, the years that Jordan wasn't playing shows that he was, uh, he may have been seen in a different light if Michael Jordan and and those Bulls teams weren't there to dominate the early nineties. I think you're right. And Honestly, it breaks my heart that they won the championship in between those two years, 94 and 95, because I feel like that was the Sonic's best opportunity. But you're right on it with his footwork unmatched. Two things strike me, one in his favor and one not in his favor. The one in his favor is how he absolutely owned Shaq in the finals. Mm. Uh, to a degree, I mean, it's a young Shaq. I'm sure he picked up things since then once, once he got to the Lakers, but absolutely owned Shaq in the finals. Uh, And the other one was after their two championships in 94, 95, they went up against the Sonics in 96 and got swept. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But those Sonics teams were great, as you know. So, I mean, that's no, that's true. I don't even mean it as a mark against Hakeem. It's just something that I remember growing up as being like when the Sonics came up to the Rockets, uh, you know, I was thinking, hey, these are the you know two-time defending champions. This is going to be a problem for the Sonics. And for whatever reason, it was not a problem. There you go. But yeah, Hakeem, good pick for number four. Uh, be like, who you got for your number four? Number four for me is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 20 years in the league, six MVPs, six championships. Played well in college, won championships there. You know, that longevity is really impressive. He's not the flashiest guy. The Skyhawk is cool, but it's not. I mean, if you think about what people love in basketball today, it's the slam dunks. It's the big blocks. It's Steph Curry pulling up from half court. The Skyhawk is like pretty tame comparatively. I think he loses credibility in some sense just because he's not the flashiest guy. Uh, But wow, his scoring champ was there for forever. Always finding ways to win. Kind of in that Tim Duncan vein of reinventing yourself over time. You got to, you got to give it to, to Kareem for that. So I'll put him in at number four. That's a great pick. And I mean, obviously I think it's a great pick because I put him number five, but how great would it be if there was a star in the league now who just started doing the sky hook? Oh, I want it so bad. I thought Kyle Kuzma was going to do it for the longest time. I had my fingers crossed. It's like, you've got to come up with something like you're so inconsistent on offense. The sky hook, where's Kareem? We'll teach him how to do the sky hook. It's the future. Pete, uh, Pete Nance at Northwestern, who is Larry Nance Jr.'s younger brother, he does it. I don't know if he he looks like he'll probably make the league. I don't I don't think he'll be like a star or anything, but he does have a sky hook, so there's hope. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's he good. also does I, a running. I see the sky hook. He also does a running hook too, like where it looks like he's gonna like go across the lane for a, a jumper, but he does the he hits you with a hook shot. So that's pretty sweet. Yeah, I. I mean, it goes without saying that I've never had a hook shot in my arsenal, but like that's, you have to dedicate some time to learn how to do that effectively. Yeah. It's not an inherent shot at all. No. Yeah. The consistency has got to be so hard. The flick of the wrist at the end, really get it consistent. 
Uh, it's like on, well, I, I wouldn't even say it's on par. It's above, but like the, the other, just, I love players that have that move, like with George Gervin and his finger roll of like, what a goofy thing for that to be your thing. It seems like efficiency wise, not the most practical move, but if that's what you've got and you're great at it, then it, then it, of course it's effective. Uh, all right. My number four, another Lakers legend, Irvin Magic Johnson wow. is I, Double dip. Oh, no <laughs> shit. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, like, there's not so much to say about Urban Magic Johnson other than, like, oversized point guard, unbelievable to watch, like, really more than pretty much any other player ever made basketball super fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. B-Pimp, what do you got to say about Magic? Yeah, that's why I, I had him at three. I mean, he's one of my favorite type of player, which is his, his dominance doesn't necessarily rely on his athleticism, even though he was really athletic. It doesn't rely on his size, even though he was tall, it was like his understanding of the game and how he passed, which is similar to another person I have on my list. But like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of just, the player that I always gravitate toward and I towards and I like, and I think the fact that he was so successful throughout his career shows that, you know, if you're, if you can be that big, that skilled, have that kind of court vision, that's just one of the greatest players of all time. Just the pure joy that he played with. I mean, I'd say like the most common modern equivalent might be Luca. Yeah. Mm. I can see that. Luca doesn't have yeah. that type of court. Vision. He's not super athletic. Yeah. But yeah, there's just something about it. It's just like a joy in the way that they play. Yeah, a lot of a lot of smiles with Doncic. He also he has like a lot of finesse with the ball that doesn't look like it belongs to his body. Like he feels kind of bulky, and then sometimes he moves quick, and it's like startling to me. I feel like watching Magic Johnson play is like so similar to that. He's like, this guy is he gonna be super like speedy and athletic, and then all of a sudden he is like, how did he do that? He's not he's not built right for that kind of movement. Then he totally yeah. is. Yeah. Like great at changing pace. Be like our like, number three. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on my three. Cause you guys both had magic Johnson. All right. This is where my list is going to start getting a little crazy. Uh, number three for me is LeBron James. And there are a couple of things that stand out to me for LeBron. Uh, one four NBA championships, pretty good, but like compared to the other folks on this list, not, not quite as incredible. Um, but we, we don't give him enough credit for that finals he went to in his fourth year when they lost the Spurs. That Spurs team was stacked. He had no other all-stars on his team. He had somebody who made all defense like second or all defensive team like once. And Zogas Ilagaskas, how do you say his name? Zedrin He's like, like yeah. yeah, yeah, Ilagaskas. He's like, that's fun. That's a fun, a fun two-time all-star uh, to, to back you up against Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, and Manu Ginobili. The <laughs> fact that LeBron James in his fourth year in the NBA took that team to that year, that's worth like five championships to me. I um, think you're 100% right. That just, just to, way more credit. Zydrunas Ilgauskas is Lithuanian, so I love him. But <laughs> aside from him, like that he dragged that team to the finals is fucking incredible. It's truly incredible. Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't get enough credit for dragging teams to the finals you should lose some credit for losing to Dallas that first year with the heat. That was a, that was a time they should have won when they didn't. Um, the, the Dallas team was really hot, but it was Chris Bash, Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. Like that team should have been able to beat Dirk Nowitzki and some guys, you know what I mean? Like it just, yeah. they didn't have Jason you know. Terry. That was their problem. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, get the championship tattoo at the beginning of the season just to prove that you're going to win. Uh, but an amazing flex. Yeah, no, that's that's a real power move. The other thing that I that I love about LeBron is uh, it doesn't matter where he is. If he's there, you you've got a chance to win. You know, he did it in Miami. Sure, there are other guys there, but like he was stacking up pretty well against the Golden State Warriors that first final series with Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving out. Like that's crazy that that happens in the first place. Draymond's an idiot for getting suspended from game five, but dragging him all the way back from down three, one to win the finals the following year against a team that, you know, was arguably the best team of all time. insofar as you do in the regular season, that's a pretty cool stat. Um, and then coming in and winning year two with the Lakers, once they didn't have an entire team of scrubs. Um, I mean, Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, these guys are washed up. They come and they play one year with LeBron James and people are trying to bring him on to, to mentor the young guys all of a sudden. Like, okay, this guy's doing a lot for people. Yeah, I, yeah, LeBron James, I, I think you bring up one of the, like the, the real dark spots in his career is inexplicably how he played in the finals his first season with the Heat. But apart yeah. from that, like what he's meant to teams, incredible. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, well, yeah, he's, he's, he's a guy who, if he, if he won, if he won another championship or if he just plays well for a few more years, he probably rockets to the top of my list. But he's, 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 he's right here very close to the number two spot for now. And I will say what's nice about LeBron James too, is he is, he's one or two months older than I am. And I feel like as long as he is the best player in the league or about the best player in the league, he, it gives me faith that I can still have an NBA career. There's still time. There's still time. Uh, All right. My number three. And I feel like I'm going to catch some flack for this is Michael Jordan. Oh boy. Uh, So Michael Jordan, I'll give him some credit. Six championships. Didn't win any of them without Scottie Pippen, but you know, pretty good. Uh, Did did John Paxson (laughs) have to bail him out of some of them? Maybe, but I still think Michael Jordan had a pretty solid career. Yeah. Is he kind of a weird dude who retired twice? Uh, and then came back and then finally retired a third time. Yeah, I suppose. But I don't want to hold that like prima donna stuff against him. Did he still seem like an asshole in like the documentary produced by his own team? Yes. But I don't really <laughs> want to hold that against him. Um, you know, has every ref ever since the 90s started been entirely on his side? Certainly. But I don't want to hold that against him. I think Michael Jordan was really a solid player in his day. Yeah, he was really good. <laughs> he at least deserves to be number three. Pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid. You know what I think? What, how, so I think of like one of Michael Jordan's, one of his first great moments, like a breakthrough in the playoffs was hitting that shot over Elo. I forget, was that like 88 or something? Maybe 89? Yeah. Um, it was like just a first round series. But I, I just wonder, like, what? let's say that shot just missed. I wonder <laughs> if that would have had some kind of impact on the rest of his career or not. No. Dude's a psycho. He would have, he would have, he would have done what he did no matter what. Yeah, he is, like, definitely a psycho. Uh, yeah. I'll, get, I'll 100% agree with that. Um, here's what Michael Jordan has going for him. As a kid in the 90s, he seemed inevitable and he deserves all the credit in the world for get for being six for six in the finals. I mean, 
I don't think people forget this necessarily, but there's a lot of times he did not make the finals. Mm-hmm. And in his comeback season, he lost to the Magic. But yeah, it's it's hard to argue with people who think that like mixed with his skill and just like his is just extreme killer instinct that Michael Jordan's the best player of all time. But as I give it some distance, I I cannot put him above three. It's an interesting interesting bring up here. I think he did he does he does win those those six finals that he makes it to. But like he didn't win them all in the row. Or he he comes back and he loses in the playoffs. He plays twenty games in the regular season after he retires. They don't win. There's this story about uh, Michael Jordan being this like impossible to defeat player who always wins. And I just have to ask like what happened that year or every year prior to Scottie Pippen getting to the Chicago Bulls. I mean, LeBron James takes a nobody Cavs team to the finals. I've never seen Michael Jordan do anything like that before. Michael Jordan, certainly an all time great. It was super hard to come up with this list. I know I'll catch flag for putting him number three, but that's just, honestly, it's just where I ended up having him. I also feel like Jordan just faced a lot of good teams in the finals, but I actually don't think he faced any top five players in the finals outside of Magic Johnson, who has passed his prime already. And I I think some of the other players on my list faced tougher competition in the finals. I'd, I'd call Carmelo in top five, but that would be the only person. It's, well... Well, I assume Andy's, I assume you're two and one are Sean Kemp and Gary Payton, so he played two of those. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> um, all right. Number, number two, to, yeah. to number two, B-Pump. Who you got for number two? I don't know. Is this a double dip? Because I have LeBron number two. And be like Adam third. No, it's got to be two people saying it in a row. Oh, that's right. Okay, so it's not a double dip. But my number two is LeBron for all the reasons that have been mentioned, plus the fact that um, we haven't talked about just his makeup as a player, which is the size of, like, Gronk <laughs> with, with, like, the agility of a point guard and the court vision of, I don't know, like Isaiah Thomas or something. It's just, like, a crazy mix of skills, smarts, athleticism, competitiveness, just great, great player. One of the best. I wish we switched the order on this because it could have been a double dip. Yeah. But uh, be like, who you got for number two? Number two for me is Michael Jordan. And I'll just say the thing that really stands out for, for Jordan for me is, is six NBA finals, six championships. It's going to be relevant here in a second. So I'm just going to, I'm going to put my little ad lib in. I'm, I'm building the case for my number one throughout. You guys will, will come back to this and it'll make sense, but six championships, six tries. Uh, he's pretty good at basketball. I've always been impressed. Uh, people, people seem to like him. Uh, not personally, right? No one likes him personally, but like people like to watch him play <laughs> basketball. I feel like his hall of fame speech was like, <laughs> right on the money for who he is. It's like those yeah. terrible speech. It was long and you're a dick. Yeah. No, it's the Kanye syndrome, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. We can appreciate what this person does without like appreciating who they are. Because like, you're not, you're not actually someone that I want to take a lot of advice from, but like if I had to play a game like on two, two V two, like I would pick you first. Yeah. Um, all right. My number two is LeBron James. A lot of reasons he can be a number two. Brian, you mentioned most of them. Um, Carrying that Cavs team, uh, winning a championship against the Warriors, 
uh, when the 73-win Warriors going to the finals eight straight years. Like, he didn't retire for two seasons in the middle there. He went there eight <laughs> straight years. Um, and then, you know, was injured two years ago with the Lakers, then came back, won a championship with them. The longevity is incredible. The just, I, I can't say enough good things. I think what really impresses me about LeBron James is because he's in the same high school class I was in. Like, I have known about him since my junior year of high school. I cannot yeah. imagine the immense amount of pressure he's had his entire life. And the fact that he's risen to the occasion the way that he has is just incredible. The way he's transformed his career, like he is not, he's not as agile as he once was, but he's a better decision maker. Uh, he still moves like a freight train. It's yeah. incredible. And yeah, I don't, I don't think there's really enough uh, like I can say about LeBron James, but he really, if he had a couple of better GMs in his day, I think he would have more championships um, and just like an incredible, and just to speak on how quality wise the Cavs have been after he left the first time and after he left <laughs> the second time is just, here's, all right, I'll say this. So I have the game NBA 2K19, which is frozen in time as to they know LeBron James is on the Lakers, but that's the only roster move they've made, and they don't know how he's going to be on the Lakers, and they don't know how the Cavs are going to be. For some stupid reason, that game seems to think that the Cavs, without LeBron James on them, are still a quality playoff team, uh. which is ridiculous. Well, they still have Kevin Love, right? He's, they still uh, have Kevin Love. Who's been washed up for like four years. <laughs> yeah, if Kevin Love could never make the playoffs with the Wolves in his prime, then of course he's not making it with the Cavs. Like, LeBron James has been such a massive, massive quality difference to teams. It's It's been incredible. And the Cavs are the prime example. Uh, I'll right. just say one, one other thing there real fast. Uh, no scandal. Right. LeBron James's entire career. He's been in the spotlight literally since high school. There is not one scandal that's associated with it. The closest you get to a scandal is the decision, which was like a bad marketing thing. But like that's his publicist's fault. Right. Like somebody was like, this is the way that we should do this. We'll raise money for like a, you know, like a youth academy or a 4-H club or whatever it was. A boys and girls club. That's right. What, that's what it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Boys and girls club, I think. Yeah, that was a terrible idea. Uh, but that's like he's not the marketer. Right. That's his biggest scandal is like raising money for a youth organization. This guy's a terrible dude. It's like wild. Yeah. I remember the decision was on Maggie's birthday. So we like went out to dinner and we just like came back and like caught the end of it. Cause yeah, we were just curious. It was such a dumb idea. <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Yeah. Who was it? Jim Gray, right? Who was like doing Jim, the interview? He was washed up at the time and was always bad. Like, why did you get this guy to do it? And why did you have like a commercial break or two before you even announced it? <laughs> got to the decision. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bad call. But but yeah. yeah, that's my number two. All right. We are down to it. Our number ones, B Pimp. Who you got in the top spot? 
I'm shocked that you guys have left me as the sole voice of reason on this podcast <laughs> and had Michael Jordan as the greatest player of all time because, of course, he is. Because he won in the most dominating fashion, six for six. He would have been eight for eight if he didn't miss those two years. Mm. Uh, you can tell me oh. any theories you want to say about the fact that other teams would have beat them those two years. They would have won eight in a row. There would be no question. He was the most dominant player. He was good. He was an all defense player. He was unstoppable on offense. He made more game winning shots than anybody else. And anything else is, is nonsense. I still leave the no, door open that no. LeBron James, LeBron James could overtake him <laughs> still. I don't close that door, but he hasn't. So of course the number one is Michael Jordan. And thank you. <laughs> All right, B. Pimpin, come on, though. You're saying he'd gone eight for eight for sure. Then why didn't he go three for four, three for three, and then four for four, right? They come back that, that year when he comes back from retirement, and they lose. If you're so sure he goes eight for eight, why doesn't he win that year? What's the explanation for that? You seem really confident, but, like, something went wrong. Well, because he did have a layoff. I was saying if there was no layoff and he just played all the way through, they'd be eight for eight. But he did. He missed, like, what, 62 games or whatever that year? And came back for that yeah. season. A lot of so, a lot of rest. He should have been all the way all the way set up and ready to go. Yeah. Well, whatever. I've made my case. You guys can <laughs> you guys can try to <laughs> fill out the number one. It's okay. From here, I just destroy the podcast. So don't even worry about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure who your number one is going to be, Ben. We essentially have to just end the show. It was a good 108 <laughs> episodes, but oh well. a- <laughs> uh, all right. Who is your number one? All right. Before I say, I mean, we got to, we got to hit on what the key attributes of the number one player of all time would be, right? Be pimping to your point right now, right? Six to six in the finals. That's a huge deal, right? Going to the finals and winning while you're there, right? Nothing else is more important than that. But I'll just say in regard to LeBron James, the thing that I love is winning finals with multiple teams, right? Those are my two main metrics. And so for me, the number one guy is Robert Ory. Seven for seven in the finals, three teams. We go with the Rockets. We go with the Lakers. We go with the Spurs. Big shot, Rob. Come on. This dude's winning it all. You think it's Kobe and Shaq? You think it's these other guys? No, 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 no. It's been Robert Ory this entire time in cruise control. Seven of seven in the finals. That's one more than the guy that everyone thinks is number one in Michael Jordan. Like, this is the power play. This is the dude. I will. Okay, I'll give you credit for this. I mentioned earlier that Michael Jordan in the 90s seemed like inevitable that he would win like that was like one of the strengths of michael jordan when they subbed rob horry's rickety ass into games to take a shot it felt that way we're like well he's going to rob it and he's going to make it and then he did because he's the greatest player of all time I will say, uh, be like, it takes the big swinging balls of Sam Cassell to come out here and call Robert Ory the greatest player of all time. So I give you credit for that. I'm just a stats guy. That's what the stats say. Like, I can't, yeah. I can't change what the metrics line out to. I mean, it's just, I, I didn't think it was him. I thought it was MJ and then LeBron. But I mean, here we are. It's clearly, clearly Robert Ory. The, can't help the it. numbers, the numbers told the story. Yeah. I, I do love that Robert Ory was just like, that big shot Rob just like coming in at the end of the game, whether he was in like the team's rotation or not, like that is specifically what he was brought in to do. Is there another player like that? Buzzsaw of destiny. He's the guy. Yeah. So odd. 
Uh, all right, great number one. I mean, terrible inaccurate numbers. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa! Seven for seven in the NBA. Finals. No, I think I think actually I, I think I actually have to change my list and make Robert Ord number one and just kick Michael completely off because I've yeah. <laughs> the reality that I've lived in is clearly not the correct one. Yeah, <laughs> that feels that feels fair. There might be some Chicago bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all right, my number one is I just. I understand it's hard to compare players of different eras, but I cannot mistake the feeling that Bill Russell would have cleaned up in any era. He's my number one. He has, Ben, you already mentioned it, 11 championships in 13 years. Oh, by yeah, the way, incredible. two of them are as a player coach. Do you see <laughs> anyone else doing that? Player and head coach. He won two championships that way. I think he probably uh, wouldn't even make the league now. I, okay. Yeah, he's like 70, though. <laughs> no, if he was, a, if he was coming out of college, <laughs> if you time machined him from then to now, he probably wouldn't even be in the league. No, that's not true. And I'll say why. Because he is so good, he single-handedly kicked another person who should be, stats-wise, on my top five list, but is not because Bill Russell owned him so thoroughly throughout his entire career, and that's Will Chamberlain. Okay. Will Chamberlain, Will Chamberlain yeah. is a freak. He's over it's seven feet test. tall, yeah. unbelievably athletic, scored 100 points in a game, maybe. and uh, Averaged 50 points for a season. Yeah. Uh, if he wanted to, he would get the assist record, which he did. Like Will Chamberlain, an incredible player, not on any of our top five lists. And I'll say why, because of Bill Russell. No, Bill Russell's it's fault. because he probably would get dominated by Myers Leonard if he played now. <laughs> not, that is not true. <laughs> yes. I told you, recency bias. I'm owning it. That's my stance. That is severe recency bias. Hassan Whiteside would outplay both of them. Oh, that's out embarrassing. Of, <laughs> all the players on these lists, uh, uh, Bill Russell's actually it. The only person I've ever met. And uh, he was on, uh, I met him on a golf course in Seattle. I think he still lives in Seattle. Um, and yeah, I shook his hand and he has enormous hands. Yeah, that checks out. Which I think, uh, Michael Jordan has big hands too. I think obviously that is a primo basketball talent you want to have. Uh, it makes a big difference if you can palm the ball or not. But yeah, Bill Russell, I just – I can't find any argument for him not being the best NBA player of all time. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with B-Pimpin. I think there's a piece of this that I, it's so hard to say with only 10 teams in the league. I mean, even if it's true that he would be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with people today, we have to be willing to say that, you know, with 20 less teams in the league, there would be less talent in the league at that point than there is now, even if everyone's the same, right? The statistical outliers – Right. There would, there would have been fewer of them. There's, there's gotta be something there. Which is why you should have picked Robert Ori is really what I'm saying. That's yeah. what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> no, that's I'm going to beat that. I'm going to beat that drum until, until I die. Uh, all right, Ben, starting with you, what are some of the honorable mentions that you had? Well, uh, Will, Will Chamberlain, honorable mention, uh, for, for reasons that we just brought up, Bill Russell is my number five. And with Bill Russell at five, really can't have Will Chamberlain on the list. Uh, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, both got to be up there too somewhere. I mean, the story's great. The way that they rebuilt the league, in my opinion, at the time, I mean, they just, they bring everything back up. I don't think we have the NBA today if we don't have those two. 
Uh, and then my last two, and I think this is, you know, Tim Duncan should probably be in all of our top fives. Tim Duncan doesn't make it because he's not flashy, but the big fundamental won five NBA championships. He's got the MVPs. He's got the clutch shots. He's a leader. Nice guy. Uh, you know, did a whole lot of good. And then I, I've got to throw one out there for Kobe Bryant. Honorable mention, he's probably not truly in the top five. Um, but, you know, just bring something different to the game. Um, everybody still talks about Mamba mentality, which is like RIP is like part of it. Right. But like, you, you know, that those stories about people on the Olympic team who are coming in are like, yeah, yeah, where's Kobe. It's like four o'clock in the morning. We're coming back from partying and he's like at the gym, putting up shots. Still, he was not the most athletic guy, but he was athletic. He was not, well, he might actually be the most skilled player of all time. If I'm going to be honest, but like it was all dedication to the game itself. That's the reason why he was who he was. Got to respect that. So I threw those out there. Those are, those are my honorable mentions. I know that's almost another entire top five list, but hard to do a top five when you could do a top 10 or a top 15. Oh yeah. And and honestly with Kobe, it cannot be like his later career, two championships can, cannot be disregarded. Like that actually speaks more to his greatness than his first three. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, Tagasaw was good, uh, but he wasn't a top 10 player. No, and Shaq was not. Shaq was not a top ten player. He was a top one player, right? Kobe playing with yeah. Shaq is playing with the guy who was the best guy in the league at the time. It's like wild. Be pimp, who you got? I just said Larry Bird. That's, That's it. <laughs> That's it. Larry Legend. He was great. Okay. I mean, he he had back issues in the I don't know latter half of his career. So I mean, he was never like obviously the most athletic guy, but just the skill level that he played with, and the fact that those teams. Granted, you had Kevin McHale, you had Robert Parrish, you had, you know, Vinnie Johnson. You had all these guys that were, um, like, really, really good playing along with him. But he was he was, he was was just a winner, and he was great. And, yeah, yeah Larry Legend. That's my honorable mention. I was just going to say, with, with Larry Bird, the other thing you can't, you can't underwrite is his trash talking. I mean, mm-hmm. like, famous for coming up with a new guy and being like, just so you know, the next thing that I'm going to do to you is this, and it's going to go in. And then he does it verbatim to your face and it goes in. You're just like, wow, what do we do? Like, yeah. How do we defend this guy? We just go home, I guess. Like I just pack my bags and I wait for him to retire, even with a bad back. I mean, he whooped that guy. You remember that time he smacked Michael Jordan in the finals before Pippen? That was incredible. Old man, totally broken and hobbled, still better than MJ at the time. So I can see why he made the list. Yeah, he like... I remember he scored 40 plus points on a game totally left-handed. It's just like, <laughs> like first Why? of all, you wouldn't see that in the league nowadays where like a player voluntarily chooses to play entirely left-handed, uh, which is incredible. I also, I know uh, Sean Kemp, my childhood hero, will actually always tell the story that early in his career, he played against a, an older Larry Bird and thought he was just going to take him to school. And Larry Bird just like owned him. Yes. Uh, so a really crafty player. Uh, I definitely got him on my honorable mentions. I've got Kobe and Shaq. I've got Wilt. Mm-hmm. I've got Hakeem Olajuwon, Tim Duncan, Sean Kemp. And then of course, mm-hmm. rounding out my list, I've got Arvidas Sabonis, Sidrunas Olgauskas, Sidrunas Marcus, <laughs> Donatus Montaunas, Jonas Valanciunas, <laughs> and of course the son, DeMontis Sabonis. There you go. Have to be there. Yeah, they have to be honorable <laughs> mentions. I don't see how they couldn't be. I will say, though, uh, and I know we did NBA lists. If we did entire basketball career goats, I actually do think Arvidas Savonis would be on the list. If you look up, uh, he's Lithuanian, but 
uh, he was part of the USSR team in 1988 that uh, beat the Americans. And just hearing stories of before he became kind of a hobbled, you know, old player on the Blazers of his athleticism <laughs> and craftiness is like incredible. And he was humongous. Uh, yeah, I would, I would love to see an early career Arvidas Sabonis. It's one of the things that makes me sad is that I can't just like warp back to like a gym where he was playing and watch him when he was like 23 or something, just like dominating everybody. Yeah, that would be great. As you say, it's wild to think that like for anybody today, right, you'll just pull up YouTube in 20 years, you'll be able to pull it up and and see exactly that. There's, there's more sleepers, we'll be able to find them, but that's, that that history doesn't exist otherwise, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Totally agree. Uh, All right. To the folks at home. If you have NBA goats that you think we missed, go ahead and hit us up on our Twitter. That's at whiskey sessions or email us at whiskey sessions, music at gmail.com. And we will read your email on a future episode, but we got to get to your emails for this episode. So without further ado, these are your emails. You sent us emails to read emails and now we'll read them. All right, B-Pimp, what have we got in the old email inbox? Dear Whiskey Sessions, I think the worst band name of all time is Harvey Danger, because my name is Harvey, and every time I hear the band mentioned, I think someone is warning me of danger. Sincerely, Harvey. Mm, I mean, I feel bad for Harvey. Yeah, sorry, Harvey. I don't think it's a bad band name. I don't think it's like a great band name. Well, luckily for Harvey, Flagpole Sitta was a one-hit wonder, so they didn't have too much other... um, I don't know how often, outside of me, because I mentioned Harvey Danger probably a lot more than the average person... Mm-hmm. I don't know how often it's coming up. Well, no, no. I, I mean, honestly, when you said they were a one-hit wonder, I kind of took a bit of personal offense because okay. a couple other singles. I mean, essentially, I think they are a one-hit wonder, so I won't, I won't entirely disagree with you. But I did see Harvey Danger live in Seattle, and they're, I think they're from Seattle or from around Seattle, and uh, I think it was the loudest concert I've ever been to. Mm. <laughs> like I had to leave at some point because I felt like I was about to go deaf. Yeah. Wow. Which is not what I would expect from Harvey Danger necessarily. No, they seem kind of aggressive, but I wouldn't have think I wouldn't have thought they were like the loudest. Yeah. It might have been the venue. I don't know. But it was unbelievably loud. Harvey, danger to your ears. Yeah. Be like, <laughs> you got you got any opinions on Harvey Danger? You know, uh, my main opinion is is I know actually nothing. Um, but I think the name Harvey Danger is actually great. It makes me think of Harvey Dent. And I'm like, yeah, that dude did end up being kind of dangerous. So, like, maybe actually a really good band name. Hard to say. Mm. I wonder if they were inspired by Two-Face when they came up with Yeah, that. it could be part of it. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah, we'll have to follow I, up on that. We need to know. The people need to know. Yeah, investigative journalism. It's not dead yet. <laughs> Um, all right. The other email we have is, Hey guys, I have an idea for a top five list that you don't even have to give me credit for top five Hallmark Christmas movies. Good luck. This is from Cheryl in Ames, Iowa. I've seen a Hallmark Christmas movie. I think I've only seen what I I think is like a fake one that Will Ferrell one that he made with, uh, that was like a pseudo Hallmark movie. Oh, anybody seen that wig? Yeah, too right. I haven't yeah. seen that one. I've kind of missed it. Do they do they play I, it I straight the whole way through? Yes, they do. Huh? Incredible. Uh, what my take on this is: if you've seen one Hallmark movie, then you've in fact seen them all. So you just 
randomly choose five and make the list and you'd be done with it. I like that because I was, yeah, I was going to say that, that making the top five means I have to watch at least five. So if I can, if I can shortcut that to one, (laughs) I'll be in. Yeah. You're already done. You just didn't know it. Yeah. Yeah. I will say for, for movies I otherwise would never have seen. And I guess every Hallmark movie would fit this equivalent, but Maggie and I are doing a thing now where we watch every movie that's ever won an Oscar for best picture. Oh, nice. So there's Oscar started in 1928, I think. Uh, so we're like kind of randomly going through them. Our daughter will roll a 10 sided die so we can pick the decade. And then we pick the movie within that decade. And it's just crazy to go through all of these movies. We watched two in the thirties at this point, some of them wow. are pretty good, but a couple, actually, I think the eighties were the worst victim of just movies that won the Oscar that were like, not that good. Like rain man is okay. Um, never saw no. that. Oh, it's all right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to come out and say, I, I don't remember what films were also up the same year. Dustin Hoffman is a legend. Like it's a, that's a good film. It's it's Tom like Cruise. Good. Like what's Tom Cruise doing in that movie? Like Tom Cruise punching above his weight. Like that's incredible. Good job, Tom. Tom is a convincing asshole in that movie. I will say. Yeah, I know, I'm not sure he's acting. Just to be honest with you, I don't think he is either. But you know what's funny about that movie is like it just is. It has 80s morality, which is not very mm. strong morality. Like at the end of the movie, so in, in case you haven't seen Rayman, I won't describe the whole movie, but basically Dustin Hoffman plays Spoilers. a severely autistic uh, brother of Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise is actually kidnaps him essentially to get money from a their father who died. And he didn't know his brother even existed. This is a horrible description of the plot. But at the end of the movie, Tom Cruise like feels for his brother, really cares about his brother. Um, and you only get that at the very end. But in the meantime, he totally takes advantage of him in Las Vegas to make some money off of, off of Dustin Hoffman's ability to uh, count cards. Um, yep. But somehow like that scene, if of him going to Vegas would not fly today at all because it would like, prove that Tom Cruise really never actually gave a shit about his brother and was just taking advantage yeah. of the situation. So it's, it's yeah. weird to see like the movies through that lens. I mean, the eighties movies are one thing. Some of the movies we watched in the thirties have like the like levels of just like misogyny are like next level. Mm. Um, there's a scene in one movie. So we watched, Oh my God, I forget what it was called, but it has Clark Gable in it. It's not gone with the wind but it has, it's like three or four years before Gone with the Wind in like 35 or six. Uh, and it has Clark Gable and somebody else. And there's a scene in it where she, where he is uh, going across a shallow stream, carrying the lead actress over his shoulder. She says some snide remark and he's also carrying a suitcase. So he asks her to grab the suitcase for a second. And the only reason he does that is so that he has his hand free to give her a spanking for this night <laughs> remark and then keeps walking. That is like what that movie is. Oh boy. Oh God. Oh God. It's, it's oh, just God. crazy to think like we just watched a movie that was like 80 plus years old. One best picture. One best picture. And actually 
I mean, aside from that scene, was a pretty good movie. Not even like totally unrelatable. I admired this project you undertaken with me. It's gonna take two years because we yeah, like do one movie a week. Yeah. Um, but I mean, most of them are available on Amazon Prime for like two dollars. So oh, that's sweet. Like that bad. Yeah, big undertaking. Um, a Hallmark Christmas movie. I'm sure there's at least probably close to a hundred of those too. There's gotta be. Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna undertake that one. And I think half of them have like uh, have Kirk Cameron's sister in them. What's her name? Candace Cameron. Candace Cameron. Yeah. Beret, because she's married to Pavel Beret, the hockey player. That's a random fact I know. Oh, I did not realize that. Wow, a good memory. They made a mistake with making her the main character in Fuller House. She's not that strong of an actress, I don't think. <laughs> Shots fired, Candace Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look out. I'm going to hear from Michael Jordan's people, and I'm going to hear yep. from Candace Cameron's people for sure. Yep. Um, all right. I'm going to hear from Robert Ory's people, but it's going to be like thank you cards and flowers and chocolate. An offer, stuff. An offer to become yeah. his like, brand ambassador. I'll be his, <laughs> I'm going to be his public, publicist after this. Yeah. I'll go yeah. this far to say I'm not sure Robert Ory has people. <laughs> I think it's just Robert Horry that's going to be wow. You don't go seven for seven in the NBA Finals and not have people after. He's that. got at least a person. <laughs> He's got at least a person. Yeah, yeah. It's me actually. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, if you have emails you want to send us again, hit us up at whiskey sessions music at gmail dot com. We will reach them. Uh, we will read them on a future episode. So send them there. But that is it for this episode. Be like, thank you so much for joining us, going over NBA GOATs. Even if your list ended up being ridiculous, we really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, it was great. Great uh, to have you. Great whiskey yeah. choices. Loved it. Good. And good to meet you, B-Pimpin. Nice to, nice to come in and see you guys in person. Long-time listener, first-time caller. Good to participate in the, in the podcast. Yeah, I think this, this episode has one of my more – like, I've definitely been drunk on episodes – but this has like a nice progression of I probably wasn't that drunk at the start of the episode and I am definitely drunk now. <laughs> it's the journey. It's the journey. Yeah, definitely. Uh, all right. Until next time, B pimp. Do you have any words of wisdom to leave our listeners with? Um, don't watch Hallmark movies. No. Yeah. Them. Yeah. That's a good um, point. I think we can all agree on that. All right. This is a Matt's saying peace out. And B pimp. Bye. Bye. You got a tag, Ben. Uh, my tag is, ah, gotta go. <laughs> <laughs>